Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallat. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. Together, we host the Silver Screensavers podcast, and we have an incredibly special two-part episode for you, really two episodes, all about the Halloween franchise, 44 years in the making with Michael, and sometimes without Michael. In this first episode, we're going to be talking about the first 12 films all the way back to Halloween 78 to Halloween Kills in 2021. The next part, episode two, is going to be all about Halloween Ends, which is the conclusion, question mark, to Halloween. I don't, we'll get to that, so stay tuned for that. We're going to rank these episodes. We're going to t- rank, rank these movies. We're going to talk about each one, a deep dive, so get ready. First, I want to ask you guys about a couple of things. What is your relationship to the Halloween franchise? When were you first introduced to it, to Michael? Did he have a place in your childhood nightmares, Matt? I wouldn't say he had a place in my childhood nightmares. I kind of sort of got into the Halloween franchise late in the game. Um, I had seen the original. I hadn't really seen any of the sequels. But I was reintroduced to the franchise for the 2018 reboot slash sequel. And I have a really positive memory for the first time I saw that movie, so it always holds a special place in my heart. Alright, Tyler, what about you? The first Halloween film I've seen in its entirety was actually the 2007 remake by Rob Zombie. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was the first time. <laughs> so I was not a big Michael Myers fan or Halloween fan because I hated that even as a kid when I first watched it. So no, that I really, until, like you said, Matt, 2018 is when I really got into it and like knew more about it. Yeah, I... I never watched these movies in full as a kid. I don't know about you guys. I was just the biggest scaredy cat in the world when I was a child. There was always this, like, there was a fascination with scary movies and all that kind of stuff. But then, like, I would just be too freaked out to actually fully watch them. However, Michael was, like, along with, I would say, Freddy and Jason, like, the archetypal silent people that can just kill you at a moment's notice right they, they were synonymous with horror movies with fear um and you know watching the movies you can see why i think michael is such an incredible idea for a villain right he is the incarnate of evil or at least they say that most of the time some the movies contradict themselves i'll get to that after he is relentless he is invincible i think in the first movie oh let me say this first we're spoiling every single one of these 12 movies, and so just be warned of that now. I think in the first movie, his, like, recovery after injury is the most believable. Like, okay, I could believe that a man could recover from that. And then after that, he's, like, getting his head chopped off, and they're, they're well, dismembering him. Yeah. Is, is he getting his head chopped off? Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> but he has this invincibility factor, right? Also, he's silent but fast. I don't know how he's so fast because he never moves faster than one mile an hour. Like him, he we, has teleportation powers because he just appears. At yeah, he is, he is the dinosaurs from Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> That's right. They're so slow. I just, I don't get it. Michael was clearly not a star athlete, not a track star. I love the idea of this being in the suburbs, right? You know, like in Nightmare on Elm Street, it's in your dreams and dreams are already freaky places. Friday the 13th in the middle of the woods, which is always a freaky place. But Haddonfield is like 
everywhere middle class USA, right? It should be, you know, or so we've been sold like this this haven of comfort and safety, and he is an invasion of that. He's masked. He's unknowable. He does not have an expressive face. It's not Jim Carrey behind this mask, right? And it's Halloween. Everyone is in a mask so he can blend right in. And that really plays in part of the first movie. You know, the mask, it's like it's like he ripped the face off of a stoic statue and put it on. It's just white with hair. Um, I mean, we know that it's it's Captain Kirk, technically. But, you know, it's it's just so cryptic and there's nothing behind it. <laughs> we can talk about the mask as we go through the movies. I just... Reportedly, they just lost the first mask, and so they couldn't entirely replicate it. But they go far out in left field with some of these masks. I'm like, what is? Like, it looks like Michael got plastic surgery with some of these things. <laughs> Michael likes to put bodies in places for people to discover later. I don't, he, he does this all the time, and it's like, wow, Michael, you. Michael has a com- comedian's timing. He's really great at it. He always knows when somebody's about to open a closet so that their friend can hang down and swing with their eyeballs cut out or something like that. He also magically can impale people to walls with kitchen knives and somehow (laughs) support their weight with a knife that would like barely go through a person (laughs) It's stabbed into the wall. But it looks so cool. I also, I do have to take back my claim, my, um, I have to take back my point that I made on the last Halloween episode we had where I was complaining about how performative Michael's kills were in Halloween kills. Yeah. I now realize that it is his staple. It is. Yes. So, I, I'm going to join new, you. I've, I've come to that movie with a new appreciation for that. Yeah. I'm going to join you in that correction. I, I was incorrect. Uh, also, Michael likes to kill dogs. Not all horror movies go there. Michael loves it. He, he's killing a dog in most movies. Yeah. It's like, the dog won't even do anything. Michael will go out of his way. And Zombie really takes that to a dark place yeah, in the second one. So that was really awful. disgusting. Yeah. Uh, like most horror villains, right? No guns, and that's made a point. Also, Michael is often, refer- you know, he's the shape. He's Michael Myers. But he's also the boogeyman, right? And the boogeyman is you know, in certain places, like the incarnate of something that is frightening, something that you don't quite know is real, but it's a fear that will never leave your mind, right? And I feel like that has run throughout this entire series is the town of Haddonfield, the Strodes, I don't know why the Strodes just don't move out of Haddonfield, uh, but it's just like the fear never goes away. So I, I just think that he's such a brilliant idea for a villain and you know sometimes has been used well and sometimes not one thing i think about him that is really interesting but also a detriment to the series if you take it as a whole is that the reason for michael killing people over and over is different throughout each entry right sometimes it's he's the incarnate of evil sometimes it has he has an uncontrollable rage right dr loomis talks about rage all the time Sometimes it's like, oh, is he possessed by the thorn spirit or whatever? <laughs> the less we talk about that, the better. No, we're, we're talking about it. Believe you me. And then, like, it's always the question of what is it with Michael's sister? Is he mad somehow that she's having sex with her boyfriend? Is he mad that 
she's neglecting him and choosing her boy. I like we you don't know. It just happens. You don't she's know. actually mad that her boyfriend picked her instead of him, actually. That's the canvas. <laughs> that guy really, like, lucked out. Can you imagine that guy the next day? He's like, gee, if I'd been there 30 seconds later, I'd be a gonzo. <laughs> well, Rob Zombie corrected that. Yeah, that's true. You know what would have fixed it is if he had gone into the room, and instead of, like, getting all scared... She just grabbed a Christmas bow and stuck it on him and said, You're my present. (laughs) (laughs) You're my present this year. Then Michael would have been happy. (laughs) Another thing that makes this series fantastic is that in a lot of the slasher series, there isn't really a consistent human presence that we get that really like anchors some sort of humanity to the story. But in this series, we get two. The first, of course, is Laurie Strode, played by the incredible, wonderful Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, First one was her first film role. You know, unlike a lot of the characters in these types of films, I think she feels like a real person. At least, um, at least in most of them, I'm, we'll talk about it later. I'm not really a fan of like the David Gordon Green version of Laurie. He just, like, cranked up her personality a little too much. She doesn't even seem real. Uh, but in the really good ones, she seems real. She's smart. She has petty concerns, right? She's just a teen. She has crushes she can't talk about. She's a lonely person. And the more we can identify with the protagonist of Slashers, the scarier it's going to be. The, the kind of danger of horror sequels is that as you go further along you're just waiting for Freddy to kill all these stupid kids. You're not like, oh, I don't want Freddy to, to kill me. Na- and again, I'm not, I know we're talking about Michael, but just as an example, uh, I don't. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Believe me, I've spent a lot of time in the past couple of months watching these movies. Can you imagine if I prepared for this and I had actually just watched all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies? <laughs> We're all just, we're just confused. Like what? Well, what, that's what I'm saying. Is like further along in Nightmare on Elm Street, you're like, okay, I just want Freddy to come into a cool dream and kill these people, right? It's not like, oh, I don't want him to kill Nancy or I don't want Michael to kill Lori. Um, so I think that's part of what makes this great. And what I also like about her is she's not she's not the chosen one, at least in the first movie. In pretty much every other movie, she is. Yeah, I was about to say, they they destroy that real quick. But in the first one, she's just, she's not a hero. She's just a babysitter who's trying to earn a few bucks, and she's plunged into the most terrifying situation possible. I mean, what could be scarier than that? Her character has changed quite a lot in different iterations of the story. I think Jamie Lee Curtis herself has always been great in this, um, but one of my main gripes with some of the lesser and even some of the okay Halloween movies is that they just don't really know what to do with Lori. Would you guys agree with that or disagree? I agree. I'm going to take the opposite side here from you and say that I like what David Gordon Green started to do with Lori's character. Um, so I would say more times than not, they get it right. Yeah, I just we'll get to that. It's that was always a little too much for me. Um, but either way, she's good. It, she's not. I wouldn't say she's like a symbol of like goodness or anything like that. But she just has this re- relentless resilience from these horrifying situations and like this really undying spirit, this undying vitality and fight. 
And our other our other main human anchor in this is none other than Dr. Sam Loomis, who is one of the best care let, let, let me first say this. Incredible job by Donald Pleasance. He he did amazing. He brought so much to the series. What are your guys' thoughts on Dr. Loomis? I I enjoyed his descent into madness. I thought it was fitting for a guy who's chasing Michael Myers down. And then by like his final films that he shows up in, he's just just absolutely insane. Yeah, I uh I just thought Donald Pleasance just carried the character so well throughout these movies. Like he was he was really a shining point in even the worst ones that he was in. He really was, and all the credit in the world to him. Thank God he played him, because otherwise, Dr. Loomis is a disaster. Dr. (laughs) Loomis was Michael's doctor for eight years, and then spent the next seven years trying to stop him from ever seeing the light of day. What were you doing every day, Dr. Loomis? What was going on? You knew this child was evil. What was your strategy? Let's list a few things that Dr. Loomis has done. He lets Michael get out. I know it's not completely his fault, but again, he had seven years, couldn't get it done. He he's by he stands by Michael's house for hours in the original film. Is he peeing in the bushes? He had to have <laughs> peed at some point. He was there forever. At no point is he like, Michael might be somewhere else in town until like the very end. He's just there, okay? When kids approach the Myers house, he goes, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. And then he's tickled pink when he scares these little kids away from the house. He's not like, oh yeah, they're safe. He's like, I scared the kids. Well, that well, that's because it's Halloween and everyone's entitled to one good scare. <laughs> this is true. In the cemetery, when he's looking for Michael's sister's grave, the groundskeeper is trying to tell him a story. And he's like, "Yeah, okay, shut the hell up. We're at the grave. Stop talking." All right. He. I'll save this one for Halloween. No, I'm gonna say it now. In Halloween two. He points a gun at a teenager, thinking that it's Michael, causes the teen to run into the street where he's hit by a cop car and plowed into a van, which explodes and sets him on fire. (laughs) It's one of the most shocking moments in any movie that I've ever seen in my life. Nice going, Sammy. Okay, he harasses Jamie, Michael's niece. He's like, you think tears are going to do anything for you, Jamie? Come on. Yeah, she's mute. She can't yeah. speak. And he's like, where is Michael? <laughs> he's shaking. Uh, a few questions about Dr. Loomis. Who are Dr. Loomis's other patients? And how do they feel about his complete, complete neglect of their issues? He definitely goes in every day and they're like, yeah, Doc, I had a scary dream last night. He's like, yes, we're all living in a scary dream because Michael is out there. And they're like, oh, God, I can't with this. All right, now, number two, what does Loomis do for the rest of the 364 days of the year? What does February 13th look like for Loomis? Does he take a break from looking for Michael? Like, come on. And then lastly, no, um, go ahead. He's just like in his own house looking for Michael the rest yeah. of the time. He's like he's like opening closets looking in. Yeah, he's looking out the window for Michael. He looks out one window. Lastly, what does Dr. Sam Loomis's obituary say? L- looked for a man for 40 years and never found him. Well, found him and then failed to capture him. 
97 times. Yeah, it could just could just not stop Michael Myers. <laughs> just absolutely sucked at it. Did try to kill him once. Tried to kill him a few times. And he like he got him sometimes, but Michael Michael was too resilient. Alright, let's start with the first one. Halloween, nineteen seventy-eight, directed by John Carpenter, written by him and Deborah Hill. How do you guys feel about the original Halloween, Matt? It's a classic. I mean, there's not much I can say that hasn't already been said. You know, that story is really cool. The execution is great. The score is absolutely fantastic. If nothing else, the score should be living on in everyone's heads. Mm -hmm. That Halloween theme song, it just can't, it just can't be beat. It's by far my favorite horror movie theme. One of the few questions I have about this movie, though, when did Michael learn how to drive? Yeah, it's a it's a big big nip. So I've I've read I don't know what draft it was of the original Halloween script, but there is a line which I don't think ends up in the movie where I think Doctor Loomis is like, "Oh, somebody must have taught him to drive," but it's like <laughs> it's pretty weak. I'm willing to accept it, but you you raise a really great point. Someone's just in like the cell with him, just like mimicking driving. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy who doesn't speak you go like this <laughs> but in all seriousness i mean it was a launch pad for a lot of careers or if not a launch pad at least like an accent to many people involved you know john carpenter and jamie lee curtis it was basically her breakout role mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of good pieces and elements in modern horror that have to be credited back to this movie or could be credited back to this movie yeah totally tyler what do you think about it Uh, so something that like shocked me going back to it because i haven't seen this one in years rewatching it is how little carnage michael actually does i think he only has three victims so it's it's cool to see how much suspense and like like fear you could put in a character that's not like mass murdering like he is in the rest of the thing where he's killing like 20 people a thing. He's a, he's a much more realistic being I think and I think that's why it's so scary cuz I mean conceivably you could three people could die without there being like a invincible f- uh, force behind it that he ends up becoming. So I think I think it it's the best in making Michael like a a scary figure instead of just like the boogeyman that can just do whatever and you can't stop him. Like it, it just actually instills fear in a realistic sense. Yeah, and to to piggyback on your point, you you raise a good one about it being believable that he could do these things. We have the part where lawyer Lori is screaming her head off and like running up to the neighbor's house and they're like, "Oh, it's a Halloween prank," and they sh- they close the shades on her. Uh, so. Absolutely. I think of all the 13 movies, this is the only great one. There's one other that I like quite a lot, but I the return is significantly a drop-off. At least as far as like actual quality factor, I think this is the one that... Well, I don't know. I could be wrong. I like that this one takes itself really seriously. You know, there are a couple of like funny moments, but those are happening... The regular stuff here is interesting. Even when Lori is talking with her friends, they're doing this, they're carving pumpkins. I mentioned this on the Ty West episode. 
great horror movies, the stuff in between the scares is great. And that's what it is here. The pumpkin in the beginning is really cool. In the beginning scene, I have a couple of questions. I've already mentioned Michael's motivation. Michael seems a little tall for six years old. Like, we get the POV shot. He seems a little tall. I, I could be wrong. I do like how his face is, like, disturbed after he does this thing. Like, he doesn't even know why he does it. Um, and it's it's always that question of, like, what is Michael upset about? Tyler, you mentioned the ridiculousness of the, like, stabbing a knife. And he does that to, to Bob here. I didn't mind it in that. Because then we get that moment where he's, like, checking Bob out and looking at him. And you're like, it's, a, it's that impenetrability of, like what is this man possibly thinking? You know, he's so twisted. Uh, I, I think that's really great. And then when he shows up as the ghost and has the glasses on, I was like, I almost had to give it up for Michael. I'm like, that's, you did it, buddy. That was creative. That was good. One of the things I love most about this is the ending. They, you know, Michael... Who gets shot a couple of times by Loomis, but I think like realistically is able to get up and go away. They just show all these shadowy suburban spaces where it's like, these are the places where we find comfort, right? This is the stuff of Norman Rockwell paintings. But now it's just, it's instilled with all this fear, dread, and like horrific violence. So just, wow. Top to bottom, Halloween's great. Halloween 2 is a direct sequel in 1981. It was directed by Rick Rosenthal, who was the guy who directed Bad Boys, not the Will Smith, Martin Lawrence, but the Sean Penn one, if anyone's seen that. This one was also written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. How do you guys feel about Halloween 2? I thought it was a pretty steep decline from Halloween 1 to Halloween 2, honestly. I, um, I just thought it felt kind of I don't know this is the one I it's been it's been the longest since I've seen this one in the last month or so um I I just I think it's a little overrated to be honest I I've, I've like many of the sequels better I would say it's yeah I don't know if anyone's saying this is a masterpiece but I agree it's 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 good. It's a good sequel. It's nowhere near the first. This one is definitely a bit more like violence and gore oriented, which I think hurts it. And they also have to throw in that, oh, Lori is Michael's sister thing, which I don't... You're not understating when you say thrown in. Like, yeah. They just kind of say it in a line just to be like, oh, yeah, it's a sister. And Oh, okay. I don't really know why that's significant. Like I don't like is Michael just obsessed with killing sisters? Like I don't I don't get it. They 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 go into it a bit more in the later ones, I think. I think he's just trying to kill his bloodline. It's like yeah. the, for this this Whoa. continuity out of the 15 continu continuities that when he possibly, the Halloweens end up in. When he possibly has a baby with his niece, I think that that goes I I don't know. I just don't really really get it. But I, I've, I've never liked that the I, I thought that was one of the things that Rob Zombie actually handled better was like introducing Laurie as his sister kind of thing um, you know I, I like when Loomis tells a cop you don't know what death is 
I think the cop knows what death is. I think he's he's maybe seen it once or twice. We get the great line, Amazing Grace, come sit on my face. That was something that ended up in the movie. You know, <laughs> and so this whole movie takes place in a hospital. And I've told you guys this before, but whenever I would see these hospital scenes in movies where there are like two nurses, no doctors, a couple of attendants, and one patient, I'd be like, this is no hospital on earth. And then I went to the ER one night and it was exactly like this. And I was like, oh man, I hope nothing goes down here. As long as one of the nurses, the psychotherapist doesn't come in and start stabbing you. Yeah, that would that didn't happen, <laughs> thankfully. And then the other doctor just starts ripping his face off for some yeah, reason. Yeah, okay, go listen to our smile review instead of watching smile uh michael kills the medical staff of which uh, there there are not very many you know i the hot tub scene i just don't understand whatsoever i don't know why <laughs> I, was, I was confused by that why time. they're taking a break to to take a dip in the hot tub for like 30 seconds i don't <laughs> and then we just get like the i don't know i are you guys into kills like do you like the gnarly stuff to a degree yes uh i do like creative kills in these kind of movies but like there's not many i was surprised that the lack of creativity in michael myers kind of kills like he's just kind of stabbing people to walls for the most part like <laughs> they're, not, they're not a lot of them are what i describe as fun like slasher movies can be stupid but they could be fun because they have st stupid kills that you get to be like oh that's crazy mm. But I, he never really does. I, I don't know. And like throughout the movie, he just kind of is just a guy that just like kills people and like stabbing them repeatedly. Like that's his main thing. Yeah. So this one I didn't think was that great for the creativeness of it. No, it was just like when she gets dunked in the hot tub and she's coming out and like her flesh is burning. I'm like, I, maybe it's just me and I, you know maybe I'm stupid for watching these kind of movies and like not wanting to see that but I'm like I don't know this just seems like gratuitous for the sake of being gratuitous the story here is not that great you know I was I was I watched Magic Mike and then I was really offended by how many male strippers were in it too so it's fine no but the first one is so much scarier and it doesn't do any of this stuff that is yeah I, I agree that the first one has very little blood and it's much scarier than any of the other ones when, which gets to the point where if you're doing these creative stupid kills, it's not scary, and that's not are you watching it. It's just like goofy at that point. Yeah, I mean it's the, again, it's not bad. I, I like this one. You know, we have like the nurse who's completely bled out onto the floor. That was pretty gnarly. Uh, Loomis was stabbed. We get a, a flaming Michael at the end, and that's that's the end of that line for a while. We get. A, a great Loomis scene where he just holds a cop hostage with a gun and then the cop tells him like nah I can't, only I'm authorized to use the radio guy who held me at gunpoint <laughs> there's a wonderful radio moment in either 4 or 5 that I cannot wait to tell you about because it's so absurd but we're, we're done with Michael for a little bit because he's dead. he's dead he's quote unquote dead but on it's own we get Halloween 3, Season of the Witch in 1982. This is directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who had worked with John Carpenter all the way back from when Carpenter made Dark Star in the beginning. It was written by him, too. This is a completely different thing. It's no relation to Michael Myers at all. It is 
following the original conception of the Halloween franchise, that it would be an anthology film series with different stories each time. This one is about a Halloween mask company that plans to have children everywhere watch a TV special on Halloween night while wearing their masks, which will kill them and unleash havoc on the world. Matt, it's it's your time, buddy. Go ahead. <laughs> I I uh, This is one of my favorite Halloween sequels, I have to be honest. My voice just cracked when I said that. That's how excited I am. <laughs> the Silver Shamrock song just slaps. I think it's the catchiest thing, and I love it. I wouldn't say the some of the story elements have particularly aged well. And I mean, there's there's no denying that it may not be in the best taste under a modern lens. <laughs> but I, I like the... Which I'm going to say this with a lot of the Halloween sequels. I like with they were trying to do narratively i think yes i'll agree with that trying to you know keep it fresh do like this anthology bit um i i thought the masks were cool and i thought the idea of like mass indoctrination through like television was like an interesting concept yes it may or may not have been executed the best but for what it was i i enjoyed it more than i was expecting to I saw some definitely some anti-capitalist sentiment there, which I appreciated. Overall, like it's pretty solid. It's it's one of my more favorite ones, despite some of, like I said, some of the elements not necessarily aging well. Which I know you feel very strongly about them, so I'm gonna let you speak on that, Mike. Whenever you're ready. I really think you make a great point about indoctrination of television and the evils of like being glued to a screen. Right? These are. Um, kids who are watching tv instead of staying out trick-or-treating or having fun with their friends it's tv 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 um you know tv can tell them whatever to do it, it doesn't really explore that well but tyler did you enjoy this very anti-irish movie no i did not enjoy this anti-irish movie. <laughs> as an irishman i was very <laughs> no but i I this movie's goofy and I give it props for that. I do like the idea of like an anthology series and with a lot of how the Michael Myers sequels turned out, I kind of wish they did give it an anthology series versus shoving Michael Myers back in for to poor effect as iconic as Michael Myers is. But this one was not a good point. Like I mean if this was a good movie, you might have saved the Halloween idea of an anthology, but you made a terrible movie as the first anthology series so of course people want i i would love to have seen audiences reaction where they're waiting the whole movie to see michael myers pop out and we're just like wait what you could, you could anyway, have seen halloween got... ends in theaters yeah <laughs> that's true yeah that's fair <laughs> that's a good one. anyway so you got this ridiculous bad guy who's like always smart like i don't understand his motive or anything he's just kind of like ah even when they like beat him he's like ah good show like, I hate the bad guy. He's so stupid. The plot made no sense. Why is he killing all the children? Does he ever say? I never got a motive out of that. He's evil. Yeah. He's, he's an evil yeah, guy. He's, he's, stupid boy. And why are bugs and snakes coming out of these things? What? Did it turn their head into a nest? Because it's like, gross, man. <laughs> But, like, I, I hated the main character. I couldn't stand him. The weird, oh, creepy romance with the girl that's, like, yep. half his age. Uncomfortable as hell. So, like, I didn't enjoy much of this movie. 
I thought the masks looked stupid for them being the whole thing of the movie. They looked cheap as hell. Like They were like dollar store masks that they based the whole movie around. That's the point, because they're trying to get them in as many kids' heads as possible. But why does every kid want the same three masks? Because they have to tune into the power hour at 9 o'clock. I'm assuming Eastern. With the most obnoxious theme song ever. This movie jumps around from day to day just to play the song. Like, you get nothing else out of the scene. There is a title card for the date every five minutes in this movie. They could have started on October 30th, had the entire events happen, and then moved to Halloween. Yeah. Well, well, I, want, I want to talk about some positive here, too, though. This movie had some pretty good special effects, especially for the year it came out, I thought. Yes, especially with like the computer chip when it like tased the lady's face off. <laughs> that was gnarly. That was gnarly. Yeah, that was it was effective in that department. I thought this. But the dumbest effect was the bad guy being zapped into like paper mache. <laughs> <laughs> he he got transported to the take on me. <laughs> ah, That's funny. Yeah, this this movie is bad. I was very excited to like this movie. I love anthology. I'm like, oh, something different. This sounds really cool. And then it's it's a story with an all right premise that is executed very poorly. It doesn't know how to pace the scares. Bad characters. It's led by Tom Atkins as Dr. Dan Chalice. This is a family man. He's got two kids. Constantly flirting with his lab analysts. He bangs a young woman after her father dies and takes her away to a weird factory where they stay in a crappy motel. There's a sex scene for zero reason. And then right after they have sex, he goes, how old are you? Oh, it was awful. <laughs> when you I put it like this. that. That's what happened. <laughs> no, I, like I said, look, there's no excusing some of the parts of this movie that have not aged well. Yeah. I in the mass scene, I was like very disturbed by that. These people who are planning this TV special do not take into account time zones. The East Coast airing of the Power Hour would not be at the same time as the West Coast, so all the East Coast parents would call the way. Hey, there's some bugs and snakes coming out of my kid's brain right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't watch this Power Hour, man. I mean, they could air it at the same time across time zones. Yeah, but kids would be out at, at like, 6 trick-or-treating. Or, yeah, about 9 p.m. Pacific. You know, that means they just have to start it at midnight. No, they would be up at 12. Yeah, which makes sense, actually. Midnight at Halloween. So, yeah. I, Why there. would kids be up at midnight? <laughs> yeah, these kids are going to be in bed. You, you, your plan is <laughs> It just it doesn't make it unless he just really hates the East Coast, which I also love the explanation for how they got a piece of Stonehenge there and like ah we had a heck of a time getting it here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> it it really is too bad. An anthology series about movies about Halloween I think would have been really great. And again, I think this was a decent idea. It just I I did not like it, Matt. I'm I'm glad one of us liked it because i was excited too and then did not deliver at all thing is i um i i like i I, like i i like goofy bad movies like if they're entertaining so this definitely i'm not ever gonna claim this is a great movie for everybody well then let's let's move on to some some ones that are just what you described uh this is 
the Thorn trilogy, four, five, and six. These follow the chronology of one and two. So we're traveling one and two. We jump over three. We're back to the original storyline. This is Halloween four, the return of Michael Myers. Uh, in 1988, directed by Dwight H. Lill, done some work on The X-Files, he's done Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and written by a whole bunch of people. This one was supposed to be a ghost story, but the backlash against 3 was so strong that they just had to return to Michael. People just wanted Michael, and I suspect they also just didn't want Dr. Dan Chalice, who is a total creep. This one takes place 10 years after the first night, so Michael would be like 31 in this one. He returns to Haddonfield to hunt for his niece, who is Lori's daughter. Matt, how do you feel about Halloween 4? I I liked it. I thought it had some good callbacks to the original trilogy. Um, It really wasn't too bad. I liked the the introduction of Jamie as the new sort of target for Michael, because I think it... I mean, when he's attacking non-children, it's one thing, but I think it hits a little bit differently when it when we're talking about him versus a child. Yeah. So I thought that was a cool dynamic to try out. And then as five later sort of built upon, it kind of helps build out some of more of the lore behind Michael, which, I mean, your mileage may vary as far as that goes but overall i liked it and i thought it was a good return for the character of michael as well as donald pleasant's coming back as dr loomis yeah agreed tyler what about you so this movie was like not memorable to me at all like i literally i watched these very close together and like i could not remember what this one was and i had to read a synopsis and i was like oh yeah that's the one that one was like i don't know i just this movie just did not stick with me at all i think daniel harris was good in her role but like i did not care for her character she was much better in this than she was in the rob zombie halloween that's for sure (laughs) who does she Um, play in rob zombie halloween she plays annie oh I think so. Four and these are definitely B movie. Four and five are pretty much the exact same movie. I like them both. In four, Michael is being transported again. He's always transported. This is, by the way, this is the worst Michael mask. It like does not fit his face. The features are very pointy. Like I, I just don't get it at all. <laughs> One of the medical transporters. Remember, they're going into a psych ward. They, like, hear someone scream in the asylum, and they're like, oh, my God, what's going on here? It's like you're you're in a, a mental asylum. Sometimes somebody might scream. Have you never been before? What, this is one of the issues of the sequels is that Michael is violent right away. Once you kind of, like, set that tone of he's just going to be killing people, it might be fun, which I think it is, but it's not. There's no suspense Loomis finds Michael at a gas station slash diner slash car dealership where there are several portraits of Abraham Lincoln on the wall behind him. I don't know why there's no organization to the format. They're just like, put one here, 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 here. Like they were playing Battleship with Abe Lincoln portraits. Loomis does sacrifice himself. So I'll give him that. But Michael does not take the bait. This is our first entrance of the citizens dressing up as Michael. And then they do have a little storyline, which I think they tried in the David Gorda Green ones that I think works pretty well here in which that the like little citizen vigilante coup kills that guy, Ted Hollister, because they think that he's Michael. 
I thought that was pretty smart, and that's something that uh, Green and his other writers like definitely leaned heavy into in these latest three. Um, I don't. Nothing ever happens with that though. They're just like, oh, killed Ted. All right, <laughs> whoopsie. <laughs> yeah, but I do like the storyline. In the end, they have like two cops. And Jamie and like her her older cousin hiding in a dark house with all the lights off. Why are they doing? Why are you in a house with the lights off when you know that Michael is coming for these people? Why is anybody by themselves? Why are there no? I I don't get this plan whatsoever. And then <laughs> when they go to the school, so Loomis has Jamie and they're going to a school. There's a shot where Michael is like bleach blonde. I don't, and he throws Loomis. Did you guys see that? I believe I I, I think they they had the wrong mask or something for that scene. And they just threw it on for a cut. But yeah, it looks really weird. Like it is jarring. <laughs> it looks so odd. Uh, this is the one where Michael is like blown into a hole, and they assume he's dead. And Jamie is possessed and stabs her mom in the bath. I think. I thought that was a really cool, clever twist to throw on there, though. Yeah. Especially with her dressed as the clown and everything. Uh, that was a cool twist. I love Loomis's reaction. Nah! Yeah. <laughs> nah! Just... <laughs> this movie ha- also had some really good one-liners, I thought. Like, it would um, give me some. So one of my favorites was, uh, I want to—I can't remember which part it came up, but I remember writing this one down, because it's like, Let's the, <clears throat> let the troopers have them. That's what they get paid for. And just like little little one liners like that, it's just it, it it's it, it's really good B movie territory right here. Yeah, I like these are some of my favorites, and it leads us right into five, which is the revenge of Michael Myers. Just a year later, in '89, this one directed by Dominique Othenin Girard, and it's a year later, so Michael's 32 at this point. A hermit has saved him from the hole. He's he's coming after he's coming after Jamie again. Yeah. Why why did he just have him for a year? (laughs) He's just like, okay, man, I'll just take care of you for a year now. (laughs) Because they need it to end up at Halloween. It has to be Halloween. (laughs) I you know I I love the scene where he like washes down the river. I think this one's on par with four. I think there are a couple of scenes that give this one a slight edge. They do actually have some really good stuff. I think that Daniel Harris as Jamie is like, wow, she's really great. And, you know, Jamie's mute in this one. They put her under a lot of stress. And it was one of those performances that was one so convincing and two, the the part was so tough that I'm like, I was fearing for... Danielle Harris's like well-being as she was shooting this. I'm like, my God, that's so much for a child to go through. And you know, each of those scenes took seven hours to film, if not more. So it's like, oh my God, I hope that hope that her mental health was okay when she was doing that. And of course, Dr. Loomis does nothing but badger her. <laughs> Tears won't get you anywhere. Did they ever explain why she was mute? From the trauma of trying to kill her foster mom i believe it was just like a she pulled like a michael yeah Ah. it was like that kid that got into an accident and couldn't come to school 
And then when he finally comes back, his, his hair had turned from black in the bright white. Uh, this one does start a trend that this series does a lot that I'm not a huge fan of. What's that? It unceremoniously kills off protagonists from previous films. Yes, please like, explain this with, one. Like in this one, Rachel is dead, for who we just spent the whole movie watching her being a kick-ass babysitter to, uh, not Daniel, Jamie the whole time, just to be killed off in like the first 20 minutes. It was a very weird choice when they just had Tina fill the role too, and like, why? I'm not. I don't care about Tina. Why is Jamie care about Tina? Like, she's happy Tina. to see Tina. Because <laughs> Tina was Rachel's friend or something. I think. Yeah, but Rachel would have been way more. I sense know, in that but they. Role. Oh, don't even get me started because they they do an even more egregious thing in the next one with Jamie herself. Yes, that that is just a true. And that and that that made me so mad. <laughs> There's a moment in five, I don't know, maybe I was just like having a moment when I saw this. There's a moment where like a slide whistle plays over those two cops appearing. The cops, that was yes. ridiculous. And then they play crazy eights in the car. Uh, we get Mike, who is one of the first douche characters in this series. There's a lot of ADR breathing, or what sounds like ADR breathing in this. I don't know why they couldn't record actual breathing. I do like they get a little creative with the locations. We have the barn. There's like the car chase in the woods. So <laughs> there is a moment where there's a cop, Eddie, and Michael has just approached him. So we know what's going to happen to Eddie. And there's another cop in his cop car. He's like, uh, Eddie, check Eddie. And Eddie is on the other line going, ah, ah, <laughs> and he's like, you there, Eddie? Ah, Eddie, what's going on? Like, Eddie's in trouble, man. You're hearing it. I don't get this. Yeah, random thought, but you brought up the character of Mike. Did they name him Mike just to do the bit where she's like, hey, Mike, what I, are you doing when I it's don't... actually Mike Myers? So I was like, oh, come on, we get it. Stop doing this. I have no doubt that was on purpose. Yeah. That's like um, Arthur I, Spooner. I'm, I'm trying to remember why I wrote this. I wrote that Halloween 5 is the prequel to The Wrong Missy, The Wrong Michael. Oh yes, that's that's true. That's a good one. I mean, listen, that what he did to to Mike's car was really upsetting. That would have been tough. I I thought this one was so stupid with the the man in black because like he just appeared that random. I thought it. <laughs> I thought he kind of looked like Slugworth from. <laughs> yeah, he kind of did. Um, I, also, when did Loomis just decide to change his mind that he actually wanted to kill Michael this time? Probably the last, he felt like a chump from the last seven times <laughs> that he didn't catch Michael. He's like, oh, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill him this time. He, no, no, actually he saw Black Adam and he's like, oh, it's okay to kill people? Oh, okay. <laughs> I can be a hero and kill people? <laughs> I do really like the ending with, like, the laundry shoot where Jamie's inside and, like, Michael is cool stabbing scene. through. I thought that was quite well done. Um, and that was kind of like the, oh, I think this gives it the slight edge. We have that. I Go ahead. I read that that was real. Like, they actually had her in a shoot and they were stabbing a knife through. And, like, it was very dangerous. Okay, it goes to my other point of I, I prayed <laughs> yeah. for her well-being during this movie. I didn't even know that. 
What about uh, the scene in the barn where um, they found the box of kittens for some for whatever reason? Yeah, where are those kittens coming from? Is that just like a, a stray that was like, ah, I gotta take a load off in this barn? Yeah, everyone in this movie was just unreasonably dumb and cartoonish, but I think that was part of the charm of it. I yeah. thought that's what made it fun. It's fun, you're right, it's fun. And then at the end, the, there's a mysterious figure who breaks Michael out of jail. And that leads us into, not Halloween 6, Halloween dot dot, the curse of Michael Myers in 95, right? So we see how 4 and 5 came like one year apart. This one is coming in 95, you know, so it's, it feels very much like the first two David Gordon Green movies and then end where two of them are connected, one maybe not as much. This is directed by Joe Chappelle. He's done a lot of TV work. He did Hellraiser 4, Bloodline. This one is even more outrageous than the others. I I thought it had an interesting visual style in the beginning. And then the script just like jumps off a cliff. And it's so confusing and strange. It's nonsensical. I I hated almost everything about this movie. I'm with you, Matt. This is the first one I genuinely hated. Uh, which good. there's only a few there's only a few more that I hated as much as this if not more all everything I liked about four and five for what they were yeah they were campy and corny and not the best execution maybe but the it was still fun goofy and like solid B movie material this one had none of that fun mm. for me it takes itself too seriously for as absurd as the script is. I hated the way it was shot, especially the beginning. It just felt very, un- I don't know what it was. It's just the way they were, the cuts they were doing and just like the way it was shot just I thought was really hard to watch. And they, spo- full spoiler here, they killed Jamie in like the first thir- half hour. And I I just, I, I could not forgive them for that because... Jamie, I thought was the whole Jamie thread. I thought was awesome, and I would have liked to see more of that. Yeah, I agree. I she did a wonderful job. Her character was good, um, and they just completely ruin it. It's you know Michael is older in this one. I should say this is the last appearance Donald Pleasance as Doctor Loomis. It was one of his final film roles before he passed away. Again, he did an amazing job. Michael is like I would say forties in this because Jamie is now kind of like a young grown woman uh it begins with an underground society there are mysterious dangerous people jamie has a baby which she may or may not have had with her uncle michael she's reported dead she escapes with the kid she's killed by michael paul rudd i thought was not i I thought he was okay in this his character is super ridiculous uh, he is it's creepy as hell. Yeah, he's playing Tommy Doyle, uh, one of the original characters, but who's like, I would say, a recluse who's like obsessed with learning about Michael and the history and all that stuff. Michael is a public figure by this point. Haddonfield has banned Halloween. There's an ancient druid curse. Tommy lives in a home run by Mrs. Blankenship, which I like. Guys, correct me if I'm wrong. But she reveals that she was babysitting Michael the night he killed his sister. She, he does, yeah. she does reveal that. Where were you, Mrs. Blankenship? 
She was out with her fellow cult buddies or whatever, right? Wasn't she part of the cult? I don't. She was part. No, you're absolutely right. She was. I just that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever in any way. This movie makes no sense. I thought the cult stuff was nonsense, and the man in black being the doctor is so stupid. Like, like, uh, everything, basically everything that the last two movies set up died with Jamie, and then the cult stuff was just bad nonsense. Yeah. My favorite was when the doctor at the beginning is like, Sam, I'm retiring. You should take over for me. Oh, yeah, replace him with, like, an 80-year-old man (laughs) (laughs) to take over. Well, that is society's common strategy, so. Uh, This, in the original version, Michael chases Loomis, Tommy, the main characters, into this lab. And it's so cryptic because in the end, Michael's mask lies on the floor while somewhere off-screen... Loomis screams, and it's not apparent whatsoever what this means. However, this is what happened in the producer's cut. What, what do you guys know? Which version you watched? It was the theatrical. I watched the theatrical. So here's what happens in the producer's cut, and this is from Wikipedia. So anybody can go and read this. In the finale of the producer's cut, Kara awakens at Smith's Grove Sanitarium on a concrete slab surrounded by the cult members, including Mrs. Blankenship. And a whole bunch of other people. What happened to Mrs. Blankenship? I don't even remember. She was fired from her babysitting job. That's when she joined the cult. Who was the worst babysitter? Mrs. Blankenship or... I forgot his name. Corey. Corey, stay tuned for our Halloween Ends episode for that answer. Wynn conducts a ceremony in which Michael will kill the baby as a sacrifice of innocent blood, after which the curse will pass on to Danny... With Kara as his first sacrifice. Who was Danny? <laughs> I genuinely don't remember who oh, Danny, Danny was. Oh, Danny is Carrie's brother. Yeah. Kara's brother. Oh, <laughs> yes. I completely <laughs> forgot about the brother. Danny Strode. That took me a second. Kara realized that Stephen, the baby, is a product of incest between Jamie and Michael. And, uh, okay. and uses this to try to convince Michael not to kill the baby. So Michael has sex with his niece... And then somebody's going to come along and be like, but it's your son. And Michael's going to go, ah, it is my son. I shouldn't kill him. I, I, I don't. It's so awful. I, I like it even worse now. Yeah. And then like the, the curse is passed on to Loomis and that's right. why he's screaming. It's so awful. What? No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I didn't think I didn't think my opinion of that movie could get any lower. Yeah. We actually that, that, I have to adjust my list now because. I had that one a little too high. We we can move on from that. So we're going to forget about 4, 5, and 6, the Thorn trilogy for now. And we're going to go back. So picture that 1 and 2 happened. Because next we get Halloween H2O, which is 20 years later in 1998. Directed by Stephen Miner, who did Friday the 13th, Parts 2 and 3, which are movies I love. He did Lake Placid. Um, Laurie Strode. So this is our first like reoccurrence of Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode after Halloween 2 she has faked her death and escaped to California where she is the head of a boarding school what do you guys think of Halloween H2O I think this was like a clear scream inspired film like the aesthetic of it kind of matched like the meta-ness of like 
bringing in her mom mm-hmm. and stuff. Like it just felt like completely inspired by that. Um, but I, I liked it. I think it was probably one of the best sequels. Um, I did like the ending until they completely invalidated it in the next movie and kind of made it stupid. I won't hold that against this movie. Yeah, no, I, I don't either. But I, I did like this movie. I thought it was pretty good for the awfulness that is the Halloween franchise for most of it. I thought it was very solid. It had some good, uh, more good callbacks to the original. Uh, this is the first time we see them kill Marion. Mm-hmm. They loved killing Marion. They sure I, uh, do. I mean, I, it had some, like you guys were saying, it had some good meta stuff in there, like having Janet Lee in there with the with the car from Psycho and calling back to the first. Yeah, it movie. even played. Yeah, it even played a bit of the Psycho theme when she like walked, like yeah. exited the scene. Yeah, I think it. You know, it had a lot of fun, and I think it sort of modernized, at least up to that point, the franchise in a good way. It may have not have been perfect, but it was definitely one of the best sequels. Uh, looking at all of them, I think this is far and away the second best movie. It's still not a fantastic movie. I think it comes closest to the original, still far from it, but closest. It's the one besides the first that is most effective at making Lori the main character to me. It invests in the relationships, right? The one she has with her son, the one she has with her boyfriend. And it doesn't have Michael plow through a ton of people, but it also doesn't, like a more recent film, have Michael appear in one scene. And, you know, that's a bit of an exaggeration. But we get a young Michelle Williams here. There is a whole subplot of LL Cool J as an inspiring erotica writer. That was hilarious. (laughs) I love that. Uh, We also got a young JGL. That's true. I was not a fan of that, but once they got past that, then I was good. I, I too it. put young JGL in my notes as something to mention on here. So, the dumbest scene in this, in my opinion, speaking of the JGL, when she discovers his body and then opens the door and the other guy's body fell, falls, was he just standing there dead the whole time, like waiting for her to open the door? Because he wasn't like leaning on it. He, he stumbles a bit. He's just kind of waiting there. Yeah, yeah, right. I also, told it you. got dark really quickly in that scene. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. I, I just, you know, we're introducing a young Josh Hartnett, too, as Lori's son. Uh, obviously very handsome guy. They gave him the worst haircut. It, it's so bad. Um, not that I haven't had bad haircuts. I have. I love the conflict between him and his mom, right? She's overprotective because she's had this incredibly distressing thing happen to her, but he doesn't know that. She doesn't want to tell him about it. So she's just kind of being an overbearing mom in his mind. And it, it starts to, what I like about this is that Lori has happiness in her life and she's been successful, but all that stuff is still bothering her, right? It's not all one or the other. You know, she she asked this question, can something so terrible happen to you that you just never get over it? And the question just kind of lingers there. And I don't think that this is a, a powerhouse of, you know, an exploration of trauma, but I, I think this is the best one for it. Uh, you know, she confesses to she confesses her story to her boyfriend as they're making out, which is kind of an odd time to do it because he's like thinking that she's like foreplaying with him. He has the best response too. He's like, "That's sucky." Yeah, and I don't. <laughs> he so he had heard about Michael Myers. Would he have really have heard about it? 
Do you think that would have made it all the way to California youth? Yeah, I don't know. It was... Well, I mean, he did kill all the people in the hospital, too. So there's oh, a massive okay. murder. That's a really good the point. the second one's still canon. All right, that's a great point. Uh, you've convinced me. Very nice. This one is not as into the gore. Although it does follow the rule that people have to stick their hand in blood to know that it's blood. If you see somebody bloody on the floor, you you are they really bleeding? Oh yeah, they're bleeding. <laughs> it does have a lot of good subversions of expectations with like the kills and some of the narrative choices too. Yes, and it does especially with LL Cool J surviving like he did. Yeah, and I I wasn't like oh that's ridiculous. Um, I thought it was fine, and then Lori they actually make Lori realize that she can't just like poke Michael with a needle and expect him to die. So she does that whole car thing, pins him up against the branch, and then decapitates him. I just thought, great ending, great story, far and away the best sequel in my mind. I have one last question about this movie. Okay. I know um, we're all pretty persnickety about our titles of our media. How do we feel about the title H2O, 20 years later? Well, it just makes me think that water is involved, and there's not or, really. Or is it? Or is it H twenty? Is is oh, that the? Is it intended to H twenty? I know no one calls it that, but I mean, how does that H... compare to Monster Dahmer, the Dahmer Monster Story? Yeah, incredibly <laughs> rude, a no good dude. <laughs> I yeah, that's that's a really good point. It's not the best. I, I I understand like the the challenge of trying to be like, all right, forget the last three films. Like, how do we market this one? So like, okay, twenty years after the original, but yeah, yeah that is a good point. After this, we get oh boy, Halloween Resurrection, directed by Rick Rosenthal, <laughs> who had done the second one. This is this is about Michael's not dead. Tyler, you care to explain why Michael's not dead? So they just kind of say this like expositionally in the beginning, like a nurse just explains it, which is odd. And it turns out that Michael knocked out a a uh, some paramedic yeah. and like broke his windpipe so he couldn't speak, and then put his costume on him, and then put the paramedic suit on. This guy was just standing there as he was dressed. I don't know. And then that was the guy Lori had killed. That was hilarious. The random okay. paramedic. No, it's so stupid. That was so so bad it was funny to me. Why is the paramedic surviving getting hit by a car and such? Like, why is he still alive to reach out after being pinned to a tree with a thing? Like, what? <laughs> Plus, what's your reaction after you see the severed head of somebody you didn't mean to kill? Like, ah, oh, oh man, well, it's the wrong guy. They make it unclear. Is she the one that pulled off the mask? I have fire. Like, they kind of show a hand pulling it off. Oh, Does I'm she know sure. what Michael looks like? She would because she we see a maskless Michael in the original movie. Now, whether she saw his face in the in the heat of the night, you know, with it all dark. It's 20 years later. <laughs> Is she going to yeah. know what he looks like? Listen, Mike stays in shape, okay? Mike looks the I, same he did 20 years ago. I, I put that in my notes on the last one. He is the pull-up king. 
He definitely is. <laughs> That's true. He's like one-handing reverse bullets often. So Lori dies in the beginning after kissing Michael on the mouth for some reason and saying, what did she say? I'll see you in hell, which is like, okay, yeah, great line. Good. No one's ever This movie said might that. as well have not had Lori in it. I'll be honest. That was awful. I, as many times. The line... <laughs> Where she's like, wait, I gotta be sure. What? You think that's someone else that was just chasing you? Yeah. <laughs> for for as many uh, attempts to defend this movie with an asterisk, um, there, there are definitely some things that can't be excused, and that was one of them. Because that's, again, unceremoniously killing off a legacy character for no good reason. Yes, we have not even gotten to the, the thick of the movie, which is the fact that... So this movie did come out in 2002. Let's keep that in mind. There is a reality program by producers Busta Rhymes and Tyra Banks. They are TV reality TV producers. Their characters have names, I think. Do they? Yeah, I, don't... I don't think it's actually Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks. Oh, I know it's not, but I'm not going to the effort to look up those names. <laughs> and they want, they're sending young people into the Myers house with the worst, worst personal cameras. Just awful early 2000s technology. It's so bad. And they're going to stay there. That's what it was called. Dangertainment. Wow, that's so clever. Yep, so we get all this bad head cam footage. And then I don't... My question with this is, what do the producers think is going to happen? They don't really believe that the real Michael Myers is going to come to the house and kill people. So we have Busta, who dresses up as Michael. Does he not think that somebody might actually be violent with him once they see a famed killer in the house? He's just gonna be. He's gonna be like, Rah! and they're gonna be like, oh, and that's the show. Well, look, don't forget, he knows kung fu. He does <laughs> know kung fu. So... Yeah, they set that up with like a scene of him watching Jackie Chan, like <laughs> only just the setup that he knows kung fu. With um, the audience, so, um, go have, ahead, go ahead. I have, I have Michael doing a Kool Aid Man in my notes. I just can't remember if it was actually Michael or if it was Busta at that point. I don't remember either. I think that was him. I think he just literally just goes face first through a door. <laughs> like, they're behind. Yeah. He, like, smashes his way. I don't, do you think that this was possibly a response to the Blair Witch Project? Because there's definitely... I, I think it was trying to capitalize on, like, the, the found footage, personal camera horror stuff. And it was done in the dumbest way. Yeah. You have this character at a party that's, like, talk, that's like hacking into the feed or whatever. I don't understand what the point of that character was at all. He did not need to be in that movie. All he did was literally just text her and be like, oh, he's in the house. Yeah, thanks. We, we know that. <laughs> if Scream 2 was the influence for H2O then this one had to have been influenced by Scream 3, I'm fairly certain. <laughs> With none of the charm. Scream 3 me. Uh, I, you know, the ending, the ending is the most generic thing I've ever seen. It's, it's literally just like Michael opening his eyes and that's it. Yeah, but not after Buster Rhymes slays some kung fu. <laughs> <laughs> Buster Rhymes does kung fu, but he also has some of the best one-liners in the whole series. <laughs> with with happy effing Halloween, this movie's so and bad. 
trick or treat motherfucker. Yeah. Like like this this movie like a lot of them, I think it has nuggets of things that I liked. That doesn't mean they were well made or well executed, but there were things I liked. I hate it. This movie's so terrible. I thought it's it was so, so bad. bad it was funny. I I wish I did. All right, let's let's get to something interesting. So we have a remake. This is the only like remake of the original Halloween, which is interesting, done in 2007. But it wasn't like they just hired, you know, a working director who they could kind of get to do their vision. Rob Zombie did this, written and directed by him. Rob Zombie, I may have mentioned before, I don't sucks. You think he sucks? I, I, for most of his stuff, I hate his stuff. Okay. I, listen, I respect that. I'm not always the biggest fan either. I like some of his stuff. I will say this. He has a style, which not everyone can say. So I'll, I'll give him that. And he brings the style to this. This movie is incredibly Rob Zombie, every inch of it. Every human is a sick pervert, foul-mouthed. They're all just dirty and grimy and just not not nice people. I think this movie does do something interesting where it spends a lot of time on Michael's childhood, like living with a tough family. That's not interesting. I thought it was interesting that they tried it. (laughs) Although it does kind of like ruin Michael as the incarnate of evil because they're like trying to give you more social reasons. They're trying to make you sympathize with him. Yeah, which I... But it doesn't work. (laughs) No, it doesn't work. Um, I do think, like I mentioned before, it, it sets up Laurie as his sister better. Although I think that Laurie in this movie is really bad. Um, I awful. I think she's. I didn't. I didn't think she was bad in this one. I thought she was bad in the next one. I think she's even worse. But yeah, yeah. It's very interested in Michael's psychology when he's in, when he's in the psych ward. Loomis is played by Malcolm McDowell here. Danny Trejo's in this. He. Malcolm McDowell's Loomis is one of the worst remake character adaptations I've ever seen. I hated him. Me too. Me too. Uh, one I, thing... Oh, I'm sorry, Matt. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I agree that this movie was also just very repulsive as far as like the aesthetic and some yeah. of the dialogue. That's Rob Zombie, and that's why I can't stand him. And it, he only doubles down on it. In Yes. Um, I do respect that he made Michael a huge guy. Which makes sense. Yeah, I do like that. I like that he's like a hulking like six seven. Yeah, dude, that is cool. But it's not used very well. It, it just makes sense. Uh, Scout Taylor Compton is Laurie. I, I'm not blaming her. I just it, it was not good. Uh, I think the first half is okay, and then the rest is just really dull and ultra violent and like ultra violent to the point where it's just it's just like numbing. And you're just like, Bleh. well, the second half is literally just a worse retelling of the first yeah, movie. Yeah, it's not good. Like we're getting it almost note for note, but worse. And I'm like, this sucks. Why am I what? Like, why do I need this? Yeah. And then in 2009, we get Halloween Two, which is Rob Zombie. This one tricks you into thinking it's gonna do the hospital thing because it starts that way, but then it's just Laurie's dream. This, even more than the first, really revels in being as gross as it can be. Michael, like, eats a dog. He's, like, grunting and all this stuff. Like, these EMTs are making the worst jokes I've ever heard. Those, that was creepy as yeah, hell. I'm the like, jelly or jam uh, conversation. It's so bad. 
Loomis is a diva. He's like a best-selling author now. Sucks. He did. So at one point he goes, my aunt used to say, freaks always find their way home. In what context did his aunt ever say this? <laughs> hey, little, little Sammy, freaks always find their way home. Oh, okay. Okay, auntie. Like, what is that? Uh, I, I, I feel like they wrote this whole movie just to keep Sherry Moon Zombie in it. Oh, yes. You, you. <laughs> the dream sequences were so bad. The two Michaels. Oh, my God. Stop. Also, how many topless slash naked women do they have Michael kill in these two movies? Rob Zombie is just the freaking weirdest director, yeah. man. Like, yeah. like, it's so uncomfortable. It's really bad. And it's funny because I was thinking how, like, de-sexed, like, especially horror movies have become recently, like, compared to, like, just the random nudity in, like, the first Halloweens. But then this one takes it on the opposite end. It's just so gratuitous yeah. and, like, over the top that I'm like, okay. It's really like, bad. Uh, also, weird. how many hospitals do you guys know that have pits of corpses laying around like that? Not laying around, but who who knows? That, yeah, that's a good point. I, I've, I've wiped most of this movie out of my memory. Uh, that's a good idea. Weird Al and Chris Hardwick are in a weird talk, talk show segment scene. <laughs> yeah, and does he call him Mr. Weird? And he's like, it's please Al. I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't catch it, but I'm like, what is this movie? I mean, it's a Rob Zombie movie, so you gotta have room for all his friends to be in it. Yeah, that's true. Bill Mosley was in the last one as a security guard. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, true. That's, that's, why, that's one thing I don't like about Rob Zombie is he just keeps using the same... I get it, you're using your family and your friends, but, like, it's enough, Rob. <laughs> it's enough, I've seen Rob. Sherry Moon Zombie enough. Sandler doesn't even do it that bad. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> Michael has this weird fantasy spiritual trio of him, his mother, and his child self, and there's a white horse, right? There, yeah. There's a strange creature fantasy feast where all of these weird mass characters are feasting on his sister's body i don't like what is going on so let's just move on from that yeah. I, I hated what they did with Lori in this one too Lori was awful absolutely hated it awful so bad this movie sucks uh so we're forgetting all those sequels we're forgetting them <laughs> this is so just Imagine the first, and this is directly after. So as we head to Halloween 2018, Michael has only attacked the one time back in 1978. This is directed by David Gordon Green. Has had a very varied career, a very varied career. Um, Stupid vocabulary. Pineapple Express, movie Joe, Stronger. You know, very uh, different, a variety of stuff. He wrote this with Jeff Bradley and Danny McBride. Matt, you really like this movie, right? I do. I would say it's my second favorite of all the sequels. All things considered. The production value is up there. I think that the story... I like what the story did with Laurie's character in this one. The fact that she had this traumatic event happen to her. And the fact that she, you know... In trying to cope with it and prepare for it because she's um, had this traumatic event happen. You know, it's put strain on her interpersonal relationships and caused her to be a recluse. Like, I thought that was a really interesting way to do it and pretty as realistic as it can get for a movie like this. And I totally respected that and I liked that. 
I also have a not movie related reason that I really like this movie. It was one of the last times I was able to get out to the theaters with my family mm-hmm. instead of just like by myself or with friends or whatever. Oh yeah. We really. We never really did it a lot growing up, but when we did, it was always good. And this was one of the last movies I saw in theaters with like my parents and my stepsister. And that was really cool. Oh, that's cool. So I have a good positive memory from that. Um, and I just thought it just, you know, it set up a lot of cool stuff. And, you know, I compare this one, I'm going to compare this next trilogy to the Star Wars sequel trilogy hmm. for me, because I loved Rise of Skywalker, not Rise of Skywalker. I did not love Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Take that off the record. <laughs> we need more Rise of Skywalker. No, no, we don't. A bunch of people just went, what? <laughs> um. Because I, I loved Force Awakens. I almost just did it again. Because yeah. <laughs> I loved Force Awakens, and I really liked what it set up. And this one had, you know, had a lot of cool stuff going for it. And as we'll talk about with the next couple, it takes a turn, and then it takes a <laughs> no, turn. No, it doesn't take a turn. It takes a nose that <laughs> And just... I would have been I would have been great if they had just ended it at the end of this one, hmm. because this I, I thought, you know, this it was a nice place to pick up and it was a nice ending. Yeah, you know, seemed like a nice definitive ending they could have stopped at, but you know, money. Yeah, corporate yeah. greed, all that shit. Tyler, what do you think of it? So I have to echo Matt's thoughts. I think this is my favorite sequel as well. Um, I do like, like Matt said, I like what they do with Lori. It is, it is interesting. Like when you think about how one ended with her, like being attacked, this guy getting shot and then disappearing, like you would understand she's going to be like prepared, you know, if this guy ever comes back. Cause she doesn't know his motive, why he attacked her. So I, I like that. I think that was kind of cheapened by how many of these horror franchises have copied that with like scream, like Sydney Prescott. Oh, I always carry a gun. I'm Sydney Prescott. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, uh, I don't even remember her name from Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the dumbest version of that. So I, I think this was one of the first to do it, and I liked it for what it did. I also think this is just a fun one. Like, it's, it's like, the, the kills are good, and, like, it just kept me engaged throughout. And then the series became the dumbest thing imaginable. <laughs> I I think you guys articulated it perfectly. I like this one fine. I think it's pretty good. It's very, very competent. And it's a it's a good Halloween movie, which I really respect. Some really great moments. It's a little bland for me. I feel like it's waiting a bit too much in the Halloween mythology that we all know. Like, it does have its own story. I wish it had, like, a bit more of its own story. Uh, the movie opens with two podcasters two journalists who are making a podcast screaming at a mental patient you guys have heard me complain about this before i don't know why they would be allowed to do that michael gets out during a transfer his journey 40 years later is oddly similar to his first escape right from the outfit he gets to the way that he escapes i i don't love Lori in this i think she's good not great right she's been preparing for all these years I just think it's a little bit one-dimensional. She's just like trauma, 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 trauma. 
And I'm like, I... That's the small well, series. I get it. How would you it, react but... in that situation, though? Yeah, but it's like, I don't, like, for 40 years later, I don't, I don't know. I just, I liked it more well, in H2O. You would have been unprepared when he inevitably came back. <laughs> well, here's the thing, is that they have Lori prepare. She has a shooting, her backyard has a shooting range, and she made her daughter do all that stuff during her childhood and they took her daughter away from her because they said she was unfit but then Lori's right in the end because all that stuff helps them trap Michael in the end I always found that a little confusing like the messaging is a little bit odd I like it's like oh yeah she was right to like suffer all those years I, I don't yeah. know it's just kind of weird we also have Andy Matichak, who plays Allison, and this was Lori's granddaughter. I think she's really good in this one. I do like her kind of story. Um, with the podcasters, they start, they kind of start to get at like how messed up our coverage and glorifications of serial killers is, and you know how exploitative it can be of victims. Um, but I, the movie, I wish that the movie had remedied that a little bit by kind of. I don't know, making the human story the compelling part, but it just, I'm not, it's not bad. It just, it feels like a little bit like leftovers to me, if that makes it, sense. I, I think I know what you mean. I think this, this trilogy tried desperately to t look at the human element, but really overshadowed itself with just kind of a Lori versus Michael, like over arcing thing and it like everything else kind of got lost beneath that yeah and then just drops the ball down 14 flights of stairs <laughs> uh, uh, i mean there were several things i liked about it though like, yeah um the tracking shots during that one scene when he's like going into the house and like killing the people throughout like the neighborhood i thought those were pretty cool yeah but like this is a very well done movie it's not bad at all it also had the mask from halloween 3 in it Oh, I didn't know that. It actually kills did too. Oh, that's cool. I do like the reverse pumpkin rotting in the beginning. I do like the the scene where Allison has that that friend that like tries to make a move on her, but she's not feeling. And like the lights going on and off in that guy's yard, and then Michael appears. I thought that was quite good. Uh, the mannequins at one point that was good. But Lori in this one says that she prayed every night that Michael would get out so that she could kill him. Could she have not visited him one time and made a move there? Would that not have been possible in all these well, years? Well, I mean, they're just letting podcasters scream at yeah, him. Yeah, so I don't... <laughs> she could have she walked right up to him with a gun and they would have been like, ah, no. And Matt, I agree with you. I think this is quite a good ending, you know, they're trapping Michael. The house is on fire. They're riding away. Great. End it. You made a good movie. Yep. That that should, should have been. Well, they, you know, they got to invalidate it. Yeah. That, they love invalidating their own endings. Because we get to Halloween Kills in 2021. Same team, pretty much. This this was our first ever episode of the podcast. Was It was about Halloween Kills. Uh, so you can go back and listen to that, but... You know, I it's ridiculous. Laurie is stuck in the hospital all night. Tommy Doyle is ruining open mics. He's making odd plans to kill Michael. There's a weird explanation where Michael gets stronger the more people fear him. And yeah, so he can just fight off the citizen brigade. I want to say, after running through all of these sequels, 
and also having already seen Halloween Kills and going back into it to rewatch it. Yeah. My opinion kind of softened on it a little bit, I'll be honest. Mine did not. <laughs> I thought it was still stupid. I mean, it's ridiculous, but it's a fun kind of ridiculous for me. Especially, at least I knew what I was getting into, so I could go in with that expectation. If you're going into it right after 2018 and expecting it to be, you know, this relatively realistic, thoughtful take on what would be happening after these events, then you're then you're going to get a completely different movie and I can see why people were so mad about it and why I was so mad about it. Yeah, after Halloween 2018, we get Michael coming out of a house that's on fire. Geriatric, by the way. He's very old in this. Um, and then he just absolutely, like, martial arts the hell out of a bunch of firefighters. He's <laughs> just in the most ridiculous fashion. He does. It's it's a little over the top. I So I actually I like this one more than 2018. It's way more ridiculous and, like, less competently made. But I find it more entertaining. It's, you know, the stuff yeah. with the guy losing his stethoscope and I thought you know, I thought it was interesting with the like the other the other mental patient who escapes and like the like hate takes over the town. So they they kill an innocent. The the doctor and nurse couple were in the twenty eighteen one. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I yeah. and I caught that the second time around. Yeah. So I I like kills. It's very entertaining. It's not a, a well-scripted movie by any means whatsoever. I also decided I like Big John and Little John uh, on the second watch. Mm. They're fun. I like that they have code names for each other. Let's do a quick ranking of these. Matt, give us your rankings from 12 to 1. 12 to 1, okay. So that means I gotta... Hang on. That means I gotta cross one of these out. Yeah, we're, we're not revealing that yet. All right, so 12 to 1. I got, okay, Rob Rob Zombie Halloween 2. Mm-hmm. Curse of Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. Rob Zombie Halloween 1. Okay. Halloween 2. Halloween Kills. H2O. H5, H4. Season of the Witch. 2018, and then... The original. Oh my god, Season of the Witch is three. That's ridiculous. It is three. Oh, alright. Well here here is mine. And I my bottom ones are subject to change, but this is what I have. I also have Zombie Two at the very bottom. Me too. Then I have Resurrection, because Resurrection is so bad. That's what mine too. And then I I had to say Resurrection, didn't I? Oh yeah. Resurrection was number nine for me. Oh, and then after Resurrection is Season of the Witch. And then after that is The First Zombie. Then it's The Curse of Michael Myers. Then it's 2018. Then Kills. Then Halloween 2. Then 4. Then 5. Then H2O is second. Then The First Halloween is the best one. Any final thoughts on this franchise? Tyler, what would be your bottom? My bottom would also be Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. My list is pretty similar to yours, except Halloween 2018 would be second. Okay. All right. I respect that. All right. Any final thoughts on the franchise? You know what? For all its imperfections, I still really enjoy the Halloween movies as a whole. 
This has been one of the most fun preparations and episodes mm-hmm. to do. So I, I would really love to do this for a Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. Um, Friday the 13th is my favorite. I, but. I was thinking that myself as we were doing this. Like, we got to come up with a do, way to do this every year for Halloween because this was fun. Well, they also they also need to make more of those movies. That I don't know why those ones are dead. Um, but we're talking about Halloween tonight, so I'll stick with that. All right, well... Please, if you're listening to this, if you've made it this far, stay tuned for part two in which we're going to talk about the 13th and most recent Halloween movie, Halloween Ends. Until then, we will see you next time. Stay down to bone. Silver Screen Savers podcast is hosted and produced by Michael Gallett, Tyler Sutkus, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo designed by Nathan Seidel.